You're listening to Consolidate That. Welcome to Consolidate That. Ryan, how are you today? I'm great. How are you today, Ivan? Not bad. Very windy and uh, cold in Canada. I bet it's... Uh, I do have power in Texas now. We have power. It actually... We are, we went from people with no power and zero degrees to I turned on my air conditioning because it was too hot. <laughs> so, all within three days. So, it's been... It's been exciting, but we're we're back to full steam here and, and getting back to business. Awesome. What would you like to talk about today? Today, I, I know that we had a really great webinar, which our, our last episode of Consolidate That published the, the webinar that we had with some great people. And some of the cool questions we got were about change management versus continuous improvement. What are some of the best change management practices? There's a few models in the literature that you can see or you know, if you're going through business school. One of them that I like is ADCAR model, which is basically awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. The important one there is the desire. So when you're talking about the veterinary clinics that were just acquired, the desire is always questionable how much people want to implement the change. Now, there's also Cotter's eight-step change model, which talks about the creating of sense of urgency, then building a strong coalition, forming a strategic vision, then getting the buy-in and enabling the action, generating short-term wins, and sustaining acceleration through institution of change. So that's a common one. And the one that I like for when we talk to consolidators about their internal structure and just assessing their sort of gap analysis, I like using 7S McKenzie model. So that's mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. that we commonly use, uh, just looking at the sort of hard elements and soft elements of the organization, hard as a strategies, uh, structure system, and then soft one is shared values, like your core values, and then staff style and skills. So that's that's the one that I like to use. But there is others then that I bumped into uh, in my previous sort of studies. One that, that I thought was interesting was Kubler-Ross. And I don't know if you'll recognize some phases in that, but it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those, are, those are the same ones my therapist tells me about, right? Those are the, <laughs> the steps to grieving or the phases of grief, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it, to me, when I, when I read that one, I was laughing because that, that seems more appropriate for most changes that is happening in the veterinary clinics because they're dealing with grief rather than accepting it with a desire. So, so I think yeah. that that's, yeah, that's, that's... Well, I guess grief is a, a major change in people's lives. So, it, you can use it across there. So, you said the seven S's is your favorite for consolidation. Is that your favorite, favorite one as well to use within a vet practice? It's not so much for consolidation. I wouldn't call it for change management. It's more for the assessment of the internal sort of forces and structure and and how the company is organized. So, I use it more for gap analysis together with the SWOT analysis to understand the company's strengths and opportunities. Do you think it's more a guide of what could go undergo change or what needs improvement more so than a actual steps to improving? Correct. Yeah, it's more it's okay. more not how to but what. Yeah, this this one is used more for that. Okay. So what do you think would work for the actual changes, right? You you assess them with the 7s's, but what do you think is the best way to go about those changes? 
Well, that's, you know, a lot of people talk about implementing changes through, um, I actually seen more in the veterinary clinics using this sort of eight step model where you, you know, you get the coalition, you create the vision, you get the buy-in, you celebrate, you know, then I was talking to one of the consolidators they had, you know, they invited someone externally. We talked about it in a webinar and yeah. someone asked, is it a good idea to invite someone from the outside? And it was interesting in the, in the M&A course that I recently took, they were talking about who who should do the change post acquisition? And again, we were talking about bigger, like large companies. We were talking about U.S. Airways merging with Air, uh, American <laughs> Airlines, and but but they were talking, and I and I was trying to map it against our customers and the Vichy Clinic acquisition. But they were talking about how important pre-acquisition alignment, and then when the vendor is planning to sell or to be acquired, how important it is to get the buy-in from your management team prior to acquisition. And I think that those steps are more important than the change management itself. If you drop the bomb of, you know, we are, we've been acquired yesterday and then you didn't align with anybody, well, that can bring a lot of shock and dealing with it as a grief probably makes sense. But as opposed to that, I think that what more important is to inform everybody in advance uh, that the change is happening, that the acquisition is happening, and that some change will come. But then in the meantime, if you don't already have it in the hospital, then as an organization such as Consolidator, embrace more of a continuous improvement culture rather than proper change management. Yeah, that's great. So what do you think would be really big in the continuous improvement world? How, do you, how would you go about looking at that culture of continuous improvement? So it's something that people say a lot, but they don't do much. And and it's really important to dig in into what is continuous improvement culture. Uh, by the way, it's one of the lean principles that was applied in the healthcare system. And what I mean by continuous improvement, it's not, you know, when you need change, don't come in with the solutions. Embrace your staff and, and empower your staff to come up with the solutions on continuous basis. So, so basically, if you know a problem to be solved, then present the problem to people that do the work. Don't come with the ready solution in the box and ask them how would they would like to solve it. And if you do have the answer, help them to come to the answer that you have, but empower them to get there themselves. As an example, I always like the story from the Boston General Hospital where they had this issue in the emergency room. So they had a sign next to the bathroom and it said, don't void before seeing a doctor. And they had a huge problem because people would just go to the bathroom, they would urinate and then they wouldn't have enough for a sample. And then you're in an emergency room, you need a blood work, you need a urine sample and they mm -hmm. couldn't do all the diagnostics. So one of the nurses that worked there, and she was actually uh, Spanish speaking, she was not from originally from the States, but she mentioned this to her manager and she said, why don't we change the sign, don't void before seeing the doctor to don't pee before seeing the doctor because she didn't know what void means. Yeah. And, and then, so, so basically they made the sign, she owned it. Like she, she honestly owned it and she loved it because she made the change and everybody was holding and going to see the doctor and, and saving that sample. So just such a simple example of, of allowing people that do the work to make changes and then they will own the process. And it, and it goes to everything in the hospital. If you will come in and say, okay, this is our new workflow in the front desk and we want to see three patients per hour and this is our KP. API and this is how you should do it, then people will resist that. They'll say, look, we know how to run the appointments. We know how to do the TPR. We know how to do everything. And this is what we do well. And some dude coming in in a suit 
tie and explaining that they're workflow optimizers. Like that's just crazy. So if you will let people to sort out the the issues that you think that will bring improvements on your margin expansion or whatever growth lever you're designing, then let people to come up with the solutions and then let them do it continuously. And that's where the continuous improvement culture kicks in, where then when the next change needs to happen, they will be ready for change. And it's a rolling thing. It's not an event that you have to grieve about after. We keep laughing about the grief one, but I know we were looking at the a couple of the different models and the Kubler-Ross one has peaks and valleys, right? You're absolutely denying it and you're, you know, you're in denial, you're grief stricken, you're feeling fine, you get over it, you come down, you're, you're going at these peaks and valleys of emotions. And it kind of sounds like the continuous improvement maybe is about leveling out a lot of those feelings and those interactions where as opposed to the group of change experts stomps in with their clipboards and starts marking up things with red pens and spikes everyone's blood pressure and then people settle down while they're thinking and then it comes back. Maybe the continuous improvement keeps it at a level flow throughout the business so that people can feel ownership of it, but then they also aren't having that that grief process of I'm completely changing my life and this is different than what I always wanted to do. Yeah, it just changes the dynamic in the organization. Basically, when you are, uh, if you're going with a classic change management, with the classic change management, you need a stressor. There's, I don't remember who said that, but I remember the quote. They said that change is possible when living with the status quo is scarier than diving into the unknown. So I love that phrase because it's basically you do need a stressor and understand that what you're doing now is so stupid that you really want to change that. It was like like when I came up with SmartFlow idea, I hated these cage cards or flow sheets that you know that sit on the clipboard on the cages. So I really wanted to change that. But in continuous improvement culture turns that upside down. It's basically people become curious of on improving things in their environment. But you need to reward them, especially if you look at our workforce right now, which is composed mostly from millennials. And then they, they're they the people that are narcissistic with a sense of entitlement and they need constant recognition. You can't up their pay every two weeks. But if you recognize their achievements through the continuous improvement projects that they're doing, then you're achieving the motivation of that particular person. You're giving them autonomy. And both of those are triggers of the burnout, by the way. And then you're eliminating those. And then you're letting people solve their own problems and you're implementing the change that you need to do as a business. Yeah. It's when we were on the webinar, you mentioned that same thing about the about the millennials being a little narcissistic. And as a millennial, I would never say anything like that about us, but I think we're perfect. So, but it is interesting. We grew up being told that we could do any job, we could do anything in the world and, you know, we, we should strive for the best and, and find great jobs and reinvent things and change things. And so when people are brought into structured organizations like corporate organizations. That's why you see a lot of millennials doing startups and smaller businesses and local businesses. I think as a generation, we are looking for those inefficiencies and looking to change things. So it's a great group of people, I think, to to reach to, to be able to find continuous improvement ideas. It's one of those things that I'm always... Just even around the house, you know, I I don't know how many times I've tried loading the dishwasher different ways to figure out ways to maximize the number of dishes in there. 
not because I like doing that, but because it means that I have to load and unload the dishwasher fewer times. So it's working hard to be able to work less. And I think that's a big thing for the millennial generation to, to get excited about. There you go. Millennials are also afraid of the phones. Are you afraid of the phone when it's ringing? Because they only accept the text before the phone call. No, I, I'm a sales. I'm a sales guy. You <laughs> you call me anytime you want. I'll pick it up. I'll get out of the shower. I'll talk on the phone anywhere. You just call me whenever you want. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that uh, you know, I think that just to bring the important things out of this episode is that. Creating continuous improvement culture is much more effective than applying proper change management tactics. And it takes not only someone externally to come in into organization and then say, okay, this is how we're going to do. We're going to create a theme. We're going to create t-shirts. And this is what we're going to, we're going to change PIMS. I remember where it was. I think it was in Cornell University. They had the t-shirts when I was there. We were changing PIMS as well as the SmartFlow. And it was a great sort of effort to engage everybody. But if people are not used to change, then they will be disturbed by it. And I've seen it so many times with SmartFlow in the clinics. And you're talking to, you know, when I remember the nurse standing in the kennel with the dog, with a leash in her hand, crying with the iPad in her hand because we changed the codes, we changed the software, and we changed the names. And then she couldn't find what she's trying to do to the pet while she has 20 years of experience doing that particular task. So she knows what to do. She just doesn't know where to record, where to insert the payment for it. So it's really about nurturing the culture of continuous improvement where people wouldn't get into stress like that while you're implementing some changes. We always try to come and add additional readings and, and learning abilities. I do think that the the previous episode, which was our our webinar, had some really great ideas from both Bob and Tom for wonderful ideas across the board. But are there any books that you'd recommend for people to read to to learn more about either continuous improvement or if they are set on change management, how to do that well? Well, because continuous improvement is a part of the lean uh, principles developed by John Tassan in, in healthcare, I think that some literature on lean in the hospitals would be interesting. So there's a good book on Lean Six Sigma for hospitals. It is written by Jay Arthur. And then there's another one that I think I would recommend. It's more on the leadership side of things, but it's Strengths Based on Leadership. And it's by Tom Rath. So those are probably the best. Wonderful. Well, I'll uh, I'll have to pick those up. I I know some other people on our team did a, a deep dive into eBay and bought a whole bunch of eBay <laughs> used books to read in their their little self built MBA. So maybe I'll have to go on those and check them out. But again, I I always appreciate it, and and I'm looking forward to to our next conversation. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. That was fun. Thanks, Evan. Right. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com.